Good morning, church. It's so good to be with you guys. Uh, if this is your first time, welcome to TFH Oakland. You came on a very amazing day. Today marks our one-year anniversary. Actually, we had church on the 27th, but it's the 24th, but it's all good. You get it. We're celebrating our one-year anniversary close enough. Um, since we couldn't be in person, uh, we definitely want to highlight today and all that have made this possible, all of the volunteers, all of the hours, all of the giving, the prayer, the fasting, all that has happened to make this church successful, even in the midst of a pandemic. So give yourself a round of applause. Those pajamas look new. Are those new pajamas? You look great today. So that's awesome. But we're so grateful for today. And uh, today, you know, we're going to highlight our anniversary, uh, but we're also just going to continue with our series, Start, Stop, Repeat. And before we jump into the work, I want to highlight that actually starting tomorrow, we're going, we're going to fast. If you're not familiar with fast, there's nothing fast about fasting. It's actually quite slow. So that's why we made it a little bit easier. We made it for seven days. Seven days, we're going to separate ourselves from just eating, and we're going to substitute that time of eating for praying and going, getting closer to God. And so we talked about fasting. We talked about getting into the Word last week. And so if you want to jump in, actually two weeks ago, we talked about what does it look like to get into the Word. So make sure you go back and listen to that message about Matthew 6, what it looks like to fast. And those are the things that Jesus calls us to be consistent in. And in this time, you know, with 2020 and 2021, uh, I believe that there's a mentality that really has to shift. And I believe that fasting plays a vital part of that. There's something miraculous happens, or something very spiritual, that when we fast and we dedicate that time to God to lessen the focus on our needs and to focus on what God needs of us, on what God calls us to do, there's something that brings strength. It brings focus. It brings clarity. I don't know what it is. You go into a little bit of a caloric deficit and God begins to speak to you. Or maybe that's just the lack of calories. I'll take either both as long as it can continues you to become more like Jesus. But we're going to take seven days. And so be sure to check your email. Check on all of the social media. We're going to be posting devotionals for you to keep you filled up in God as we grow closer during the seven days of fasting. You guys excited about fasting? Yeah. That's, that's what you should expect from fasting. Seven days, but let's make it hard. We're asking at least, at least one meal a day and begin to honor God. So we're going to jump into the Word this morning. And as I was getting ready, we're in this series about start, stop, repeat. And uh, what we want to make it very clear is that many times when it comes to the beginning of the year, everybody wants to start new habits. And that's good. You have a resolution, want to do something new, new you, new look, new boo, whatever you got to do, it's all about being new. So what we want to do is we want to start fresh. We want to identify what are some areas in our life that we really need to start fresh. Maybe some habits that we've let go that actually pulled us closer to God. Maybe there's some things that we've allowed to, to substitute for God where we need to start fresh. And there's some things that we need to stop. And we don't want to just stop everything, but we want to stop and we want to take a moment to recover. You know, if you don't give your body recovery after intense uh, workout or going hard, uh, your body actually will start to defend itself. And it'll start to take whatever it can from other areas. But we need to stop and recover because that's what God teaches us. When God created the earth and all of humanity, he stopped and he recovered. Because he was modeling for humanity the rhythm and flow that we're supposed to have in our day-to-day -day lives. But the last thing is, is repeating. Start, stop, repeat. We want to be consistent because when you become consistent in something, that's where you get your confidence from. And we don't want to just start something and just let it stay there. We want to go back, continue to finish what we started. We want to be consistent in those areas. And so today I'm going to talk to you about how you can be consistent when there's chaos all in your life. Here's one of the things that you can be sure of. You're going to go through chaotic moments. Chaos is inevitable but you have to make a choice. Will you just go through chaos 
Or will you grow through chaos? And today I want to talk to you about being stuck. Um, I don't know if you've ever been stuck in something, but at one time I was actually stuck in an elevator. Believe it or not, I got stuck in an elevator as an adult. <laughs> Within the last few years, I was stuck. And like I had a cell phone and was stuck in an elevator. Right before we started the church, I actually took on a job uh, to clean floors at, at, at the end of the night. As all of the employees would leave, I was out there cleaning floors. And to all my blue collar workers, prophecy. Don't be ashamed for working hard. Get it in. Get in where you fit in. Praise God for you making our world keep, keep still spinning because of all that you're doing. But I remember at night, I was literally cleaning floors. And I would go in. All the employees were gone. And we had a routine. We would go in. And the security guards at that time, they would lock the elevators and they would open the doors so that the elevator wouldn't take you and your equipment up to the next floor. So the security guard would come into this one spot that we normally would clean and we're cleaning and the security guard's like, I got you, but I don't know how to lock the elevators. So I'll do it manually. So I plugged in my little floor cleaner and the security guard stood in front of the elevator making sure the sensor recognized there was a person there and not to close and take me to the penthouse. Well, within a matter of moments, this security guard got distracted and he saw a piece of trash on the paper. Mind you, all of my $10,000 worth of cleaning equipment and all of that stuff. I don't know how much it cost. Probably was 2000 but I digress. It was expensive enough that I didn't want to pay for it. So he moves and goes, picks up a piece of trash, and sure enough, the elevator doors close, and I start to go up into the third floor. And at that time, I panicked. I'm like, oh, no, this is the big one. It's over. I grabbed the rubber cable and literally burned my hands. But thank God I got armadillo skin uh, because it didn't cause me too much pain. And literally the security guard is down on the first floor, pacing back and forth, freaking out. And I knew I had a moment. I had a one decision to make. Am I going to continue to go break this, break this equipment, the vacuum cleaner, literally, and all of the cleaning equipment is being shoved through the door. And literally I hit the red button and I stopped. And I said, God help me, I am freaking stuck in an elevator. Now here are the three things that I learned while being stuck in an elevator. First thing is this, someone else can cause you being stuck. Someone else can actually be the person that gets you stuck. Whether that's in an elevator, I don't know my brother's name, but God bless him. But it's his fault. And I know what you're thinking, like Pastor Jules, I know you get a little distracted. This is not my fault. It was bruh man's fault. But someone could be the cause of you being stuck. The second lesson that I learned about being stuck in an elevator is this, is that you're the only one that can stop the chaos. No one else could stop the elevator but me. And we tell our kids all the time, do not push the big red button. But this was the moment I got to push the, red, the big red button. I hit that button and the elevator immediately shut down and stopped. And I'm suspended in the air between second floor and the third floor as people try to figure out what was going on. And the last thing that I learned while being stuck in an elevator is this is that when you're stuck, you realize who's the most important or what's the most important thing in your life. Sure enough, what did I do? I called my wife. I didn't call my employer and say, hey, your equipment is broken. I didn't, I didn't care about that. My life was in danger. <laughs> I was stuck in an elevator. I called my wife and said, babe, I don't know if I'm gonna make it home. I told my kids, I, I'm joking, I didn't say all of that. <laughs> but I did call her. And I said, babe, I'm stuck in an elevator. And sure enough, she interrogated me. How did you get, it's not my fault. But those were the lessons that I learned while being stuck in an elevator. And the reason why I share that with you is because I think that maybe that was prophetic. That happened in 2019. Maybe that was God foreshadowing of what my year would look like when we planted this church. Like, we're going up. We're going to do it. 
wait a minute, a pandemic? We gotta wear a mask everywhere? We, what's go-? I mean, literally, that was a prophetic word. <laughs> Take it if you need it. But I think so many people, their lives can correlate with that same moment where you just may feel like you're stuck and you don't know how to get out. There may be chaos internally and chaos externally, but whatever is going on right now, I believe that we serve a God that sometimes even when we get stuck, he can use that sticky situation to help us grow. You know, that's what people say. You know, when you're going through something, they'll be like, hey man, stick it out. Your marriage hits a bump, you're like, hey man, stick it out. Or people will review some situation that just miraculously resolved itself and say, guess what, man, they, they stuck it out. And sometimes you just gotta stick things out. I mean, you make a decision. Are you gonna let chaos ensue? Are you just gonna walk through all of the adversity? Are you going to grow through it? And we're going to look at a verse of scripture today that teaches us how to grow even in the midst of chaos, even in those moments that you may feel stuck. I want to look at a a portion of scripture, and it may not be as clear, but I think it's pretty evident once we begin to unpack it. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is an amazing verse of scripture, because what's going on in the Corinth church, a little context of what's happening, is the Corinth church, they're struggling. They just got saved. They they love God. They're passionate about him. They're excited about serving God. And they begin to drift into spiritual gifts. They're learning what it looks like to speak in tongues. What does it look like to prophesy? I mean, and all of these things begin to happen, but they begin to go into a little bit of chaos. They begin to emphasize certain gifts. They begin to emphasize certain attitudes and behaviors that was actually creating chaos in the corporate gathering. They were taking things that were supposed to be personal, that was supposed to be private, and they were putting it in the corporate gathering. I know many of us have seen, you know, movies or things where it talks about speaking in tongues and it can be fearful or intimidated, and I don't want to go and do a whole, you know, deep dive into that. But we have to understand this, is that God gives us a prayer language. And there are some Christians who are following God, they may not have received that that prayer language, and that does not make you a second-class Christian. And even when it comes to praying in the Spirit, I call that butt-dialing heaven. Because you don't know what you're doing. You're praying and the Holy Spirit is giving you words to pray directly to God. And you may not be aware, but it's something that is supposed to be personally that we do as believers and that we can receive it. And we'll talk about that probably in another time. We'll do a deep dive in these verses of scripture. But what was going on is is this, is that Paul is addressing this church and he says, you guys are being chaotic. You're being a little messy when it comes to spiritual gifts. And I have to walk with you in order for you to grow through this chaos. I want to show you how to bring maturity into those areas that you may feel weakened. And Paul begins to address the church and he begins to talk to them of how they can start fresh, stop and recover, and how they can repeat what they started. And so I want you to get this. You're going through chaos, but you can grow through chaos when we apply God's word in our lives. When we start, when we find those things like praying and seeking God and we start fresh and begin to make God a priority in our lives, when we stop some of the indulgence, the things that have just consumed us, that have taken our attention off of reality, and we begin to refresh ourselves and get strength in God, and we stay consistent in those matters. So the first thing is this, how do we grow through chaos? It says this in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. I know for some of those that are new to the team in this Christian faith, like speaking in tongues and prophecy, what Paul is addressing is this. Prophecy was a gift that people can receive, 
And that was hearing from God and be able to understand what is going on. It's to bring direction. And this is literally hearing the voice of God. And sometimes God will speak specifically to a person. And that person is to communicate to a corporate body or to a group of people, helping them to give direction of what God is doing in that moment or in that matter. And so Paul begins to say, this is prophecy, but we only know a part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. And so this is what Paul is saying is this, is that at some point in time, all of the gifts will be done away with. You won't need prophecy. You won't need speaking in tongues. Because what Paul, Paul is alluding to is there's one day when God returns, when his son Jesus Christ returns, that we will stand before God, give an account for our lives, and we will have the utmost clarity of every situation in our lives. Right now, sometimes you're going through adversity and you have this question, God, why me? Why is this happening? Why did I go through this? Why did this, why did this happen to my friend or my family? And we don't have all of the answers. We only know a part. And this is not a fatalistic version of Christianity. This is understanding God's sovereignty, that as long as I have breath in my lungs, there is still purpose to my life and I'm walking through things. But God gives me the ability to interpret how I'm going to respond to the chaos. And I can just go through the chaos or I can grow through the chaos. And what Paul is saying is this. If you're going to grow, you have to recognize there are immature behaviors that we all have. When was the last time you hung out with some kids? Do you see how messy kids are? Even on the way over here, my daughter was reaching into my back to find a small, minuscule toy that she believed was in the back. It wasn't even in the back. And she literally took everything out of the bag in disarray, created chaos, and I said, babe, it's not even in the bag. Oh, my bad. And toodaloo's away. No, 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 you gotta come back and get this chaos. And Paul says... Many times in believers' life, if they're going to grow, they have to be willing to put aside immaturity and to understand that when they are growing in God, they have to put aside childish behavior. Now, let's kind of break this down a little bit more. And one of the things that we have to understand is this, and I've seen this in my kids, because if you've got kids or nephews or nieces and, you know, little cousins, kids reveal so much. They're just so honest. If you gained a little weight through COVID, kids will let you know. Daddy, you look fat. Like, thanks, babe. That really helps my confidence right there. I'm going to go preach now. Thank you so much. I mean, kids just say whatever comes to mind. They don't have a filter, which is good and bad. But what Paul is addressing is that there's a maturity. There's a process in which we have to go through. And one of the things that I realize about my kids is my kids know everything. They do. I try to explain to them, like, I, no, it's all right. I got it. I got it. I got it, Daddy. I'm trying to cut something. No, Daddy, give me the knife. I Like, hey. Listen to me. Let me help you. They know everything. And what Paul is trying to address is this. If you just want to go through chaos, just assume you know everything and you'll never grow. He says a sign of immaturity is when a person assumes they know everything about a situation, everything about God, and they begin to close off their ears to sound advice and sound wisdom. They rob themselves of actually growing through that chaos, so they either exist in that chaos, they just try to survive through that chaos, and they actually never mature because they don't realize in order for you to put aside childish ways, you must open up your ears and receive wisdom from God in the community of God. God's people that he has put around you. You see, kids 
can be chaotic, and a lot of times they're chaotic, and they assume to know everything honestly because they don't know better. It's a selfishness. And believe it or not, adults become the same way. If you look at our society right now, people know everything. Oh, I know how to vote. Oh, I know what to do. I know what needs to be said, and I'm going to let the whole world know what needs to be known by my own wisdom and guidance. But that's not the way that God's people are supposed to respond. You see, maturity that Paul is trying to create is this. Maturity is measured by how we apply God's wisdom to our lives. You want to know a mature follower of God? Do they apply wisdom? Not just learn wisdom. There are so many podcasts, so many speakers, podcasts, dodcasts. You can cast, cast, simulcast. There's so many casts. There's so much information. But in our pursuit of information, have we actually grown in our application? You see, a person that grows through chaos can take what they've learned and heard and apply it in that moment and be consistent in that moment. And they grow through that moment. And when they step outside of that chaos, they've done more damage to the chaos than the chaos has done to them. And Paul says, I want you to grow. Here's some practical ways in order for us to grow. If you're struggling in a particular area, you say, man, I really want to grow in this area. Find verses of scripture that actually speak to that. If it's hard for you to love your spouse or receive love from your spouse, it's hard for you to love your kids. Find verses of scripture that actually speak to love and kindness and gentleness and begin to pray, God, help me to grow in these particular areas. Maybe there's things that you're called to do as far as a business. And you say, God, I want to move in faith. I don't want to let my confidence rest on the economy, but my confidence rests in you. Then find verses of scripture that actually line out God's promises and his reality. And as you begin to speak and declare those things out, what you're doing is this. This is not Oprah Winfrey stuff, look under your seat and find something. This is a spiritual reality. And Paul is saying is this, when we take our confidence and our wisdom from God, we actually grow through the chaos. One of the things that I love about our church and what we're always striving to do is to create community and invite people to partner. And there's something so powerful when we step into community, when we jump into a small group, when we connect with other believers, it helps us to grow through chaos. It says this in James chapter one. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. Let's just say that. If you need wisdom. If you're sitting next to someone, just say, do you need wisdom? I like that. I like that. It says, ask our generous God and he will be sure to give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask and be sure that your faith is in God alone, do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. And what James is reminding us is this, is that a person that grows through chaos, their confidence is in God. And when they have moments of turbulence and moments of doubt or confusion, they don't look to any other source for clarity. They go to God. And when God speaks, they solely depend on his wisdom. But when they begin to doubt and to waver on God's application, they become divided and double-minded and they go nowhere and they just go through the chaos. So the first thing that we have to see is this. You don't have all the answers. Seek wisdom. Get good, godly people. Get the word of God in your heart. Seek wisdom. The second thing is this. If we're going to grow through chaos, take a long look at yourself. I feel like that's a song. Take a look at yourself. I don't know what song that is, but it reminds me of a song. Is that a song? 
It feels like it should be a song. Take a look at yourself. I don't know. That's it. That's all I got. Bars right there. Take a look at yourself. If you want to grow through chaos, take a long look at yourself. See, it says this in 1 Corinthians. It says, now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. It says, all that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things that will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. What Paul is saying is this, there will come a moment with all of our creation, all of our doing, will all be dissolved. We will see God clearly for who he is. Every atheist, every agnostic, every believer, ever nominal believer, so-called believer, pseudo-believer, wannabe believer, seeker believer, non-believer, believer. Every person will stand before God and we will see God for who he truly is. And God will see us for who we truly are. And Paul says in that moment, everything will become clear. Every tear that has been shed, every heart that has been broken, every death that seemed premature, all of that will become so clear because we will have done away with all of our understanding. We will have done away with all of our trappings and we will see God perfectly. But Paul says, until we get to that moment, there's chaos and confusion. And if anything, that chaos and confusion shouldn't come from the church. But if anything, the church should be a beacon of hope and that when people come and they gather amongst us, they shouldn't see chaos and backbiting and lying and cheating and, and fraud and uh, rebuking and abuse, but they should see peace. And Paul is addressing the immaturity in this church and hope that peace will be restored to them. You see, one of the things that about this time period that if we look at mirrors, they, the kind of mirrors that they had are totally different. The mirror that they had was probably about 12 inches in diameter, and only the rich had mirrors. It was a really small little mirror. It was, it's better to think of a mirror was like, um, like a rim on a tire uh, after going through the snow. Like, that's how bad it would have been. Like, you just could not see a pure reflection. And that mirror was probably made of copper. It wasn't as frequent to come along a mirror. You couldn't go to some beauty supply store and walk out of a mirror like we do, or Amazon, like I did. I Amazoned a mirror, and I will show you that mirror. But the mirrors were so dim, it was really hard to get an accurate reflection of what was going on here. So when they would look at themselves, it resembled more like this. It could have been, you know, copper or metal. And when they would see themselves, they would have to take a close examination. So as long as they saw two eyes, two nostrils, they were like, I'm good. All right. And in order for them to really know what was going on, they had to focus and really hone in and look. And Paul says, this is sometimes how our lives feel. That when we're following God, it's really hard to see what's really going on. And it's like looking through a dim mirror. And he says that even though all of this mess is happening right now, there will come a point in time where, where God will begin to bring clarity to our lives. But this is where we are right now. And though mirrors have upgraded and changed, I mean, people got mirrors all over now. You got a little compact mirror. You got a full body mirror. You know what I'm saying? You're just like, all right, let's see what's going on. I like what I'm seeing right here. I don't know how vain you are, but I could be pretty vain. So I'll just let myself go out right there. But one of the things that we see that as mirrors have changed, you know, our culture has changed when it comes to evaluating and taking a long look at ourselves. I want to go a little bit deeper with here. You can hold this for me. Thank you. 
See, a lot of times the way that we approach mirrors is how we approach. We, we have an expectation when we have a mirror, right? You expect to see something. You've done your makeup, you know what I'm saying? You're like, all right, all right, I'm good. You wax your ears, whatever you got going on. You have an, hey, some people need to wax their ears. Got fur coats going up in there, it's all right. No shade, do what you gotta do. So anyway, you show up and you have an expectation, right? You feel like, I know what's going on. I expect to see a certain version of myself. And you approach the mirror, and as you see that mirror, as long as that mirror gives you what you assume is an accurate reflection, you'd be like, this mirror is working just fine. No one goes to a mirror and begins to say, man, does, does your mirror work properly? Does, do you have a working mirror in your house? No, it starts with an expectation. We see a reflection. And what we see, what we get back, the view that we have, the reflection that we see, determines how we respond. We would say, hey, man, I'm looking pretty good today. I feel good about myself. And we go about our day. And most of the time, the way that we get up, we have a mirror and we look at ourselves, brush our teeth, get ready, and we out. We have a quick look. It's a quick view. You know what I'm saying? Just take a snapshot. I'm good. And I'm gone. But what Paul is saying is this. That's how most people live their spiritual lives. They show up with an expectation of what they've done and who they are, and they go up to social media, and as long as social media reflects their own expectations, they feel like, I'm good, you're wrong, let me show you what you should look like, and let me impose my version of God, my version of Christianity onto your life, and then it only ensues more chaos, because the problem with mirrors is the person. Because whatever they show up with, depending on their expectation, the mirror can be skewed. And what Paul is saying is this. There is one mirror that is unchanging that we should focus on that will accurately reveal who we are in areas that we need to improve. And it's not the world. It's not a double tapping on someone else's picture. It's not this sociologist. It's not this psychologist. There's one mirror that begins to, when we look at it accurately, and we begin to see for it truly what it means, is when we allow God's word to come into our lives, and we look at their areas like, oh my gosh. How did a little bit of racism get in there? How did a little bit of a of, of Pharisee, how did a little bit of, of arrogance get right there? Bruh, no one told me about these lines. I got some serious blemishes going on here. And y'all been letting me live like this? And what Paul is saying is this, an immature person, I'm good. I got it, I'm all right, I'm cool. But a person, that grows in the midst of chaos. Not has this overwhelming sense of scrutinizing themselves, but they show up to God's word and to God, and they say, God, search me and know me. And if there's anything, Lord, that would be a blemish to you, let me remove it out of my life. You know, Jesus said this. He said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, there are going to come a time, and that time was present even with that when Jesus was around, that there were Christians who knew how to start fresh and stop and recover, but they began to repeat a bad behavior. And that behavior, Jesus associates, he says, it's a hypocritical behavior because they would ignore the blemishes that were in their spiritual lives and they had the ability to point out someone else's flaw. And Jesus says, there shouldn't be among those that claim to follow Christ. That for us to grow, Part of maturing is being able to look accurately at God's word and allow God's word to shape and change our lives. 
allow the teachings of Jesus to mark out areas of brokenness and compromise. And our responsibility is to constantly, as we begin to mature, we begin to see more clearly, we begin to see more aspects, and we constantly live at a place of growing and maturing. Why? Not that the mirror is changing, but my expectation begins to change because I start to see more like Christ. And when I leave this mirror after checking myself out, I'm not trying to portray someone else. I'm trying to live according to Jesus. And what was going on in the the corn church? I got a lot of baby powder on my hands right now. No, we're good. But a lot of what was going on in the church of Corinth at that time is this, is that they were coming to church with so much immaturity and they became arrogant. They were only focused on what was going to please them, what was going to make them feel good, what was going to make them look the most spiritually mature. And it actually created more chaos. And I think, unfortunately, that's a lot what's going on right now. A lot of people have become spiritually pride, prideful, and they show up to whatever gathering online or in person, and they haven't allowed themselves to be checked by God's grace and his mercy and his word. And this morning, what I want to challenge us is this, that we would take a long look at ourselves, that we would take a long look at what God is doing in our lives and maybe the areas that God is in. You need to start fresh. This this is an area of your life that you may need to stop and recover. This is is something, let's go back to what we started. Let's pick this up and let's be consistent in this area. See, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is what I'm doing right now currently, is it worth repeating? Is what I'm doing right now, do I need to be consistent in those areas? But have I stopped in this season and begin to assume that I don't have all the answers? I still need God. Have I, have I stopped in this season and realized I need to take a long look at what has happened? Maybe there's some things that you've picked up in 2020 that God is saying, that's an area of doubt. That's an area of fear. That's an area of anxiety that has robbed you for too long. It's what I'm doing now worth repeating. And as we go later on into this year, and even as tomorrow as we start the fast, I believe that what God is looking for, he's looking for a group of people that have this insatiable invitation to invite people on a journey. And that's what Jesus is doing with us. That we don't assume that we have all the answers, but that we're on a journey of maturing and growing in God. And if we live that way, I think it becomes more more inviting. It becomes more appealing, not just to the world, but when we come to a place of humility, people will look at us and say, man, these people are growing and learning and they have this peace that seems unshakable. I want to know what's going on in their lives. And that's a great opportunity for you to invite others, your friends and family, and say, hey, join us as we're going on this journey. I think that's a literal thing that we can do is to invite others as we begin to take a long inventory of our lives. But I want to pray that as we close, and I want us to pray this. I want to pray that the things that we've picked up along the way in this last season, that God will begin to bring to the surface. And even during this fast, as we begin to pray, that God would bring healing and recovery into those areas that have brought anxiety, depression, and fear. And let me just be honest with you. You can be a minority and still be racist. Racist is not just exclusive to one race. (laughs) We can all walk with some agenda, some mentality, some frustration, some, 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 something that's going on that's broken. And if we don't allow the, the God, 
the God of the universe, to bring clarity to what's been hurt in our hearts and to come to him and begin to ask for wisdom. God, mature my heart. God, cleanse my soul. I believe that God wants to do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we don't have all of the answers, but we know in part. But Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, everyone by the sound of my voice, Lord, I pray that you begin to bring healing into those areas, those things that we've picked up along the way. God, I thank you that your word is so true, it's unchanging. And Lord, that even as we go into this time of fasting, even as we're looking for a whole nother year as a church, that you're going to grow us into maturity, that we're going to be people that know, knows what it looks like, Lord, to grow in the midst of chaos. Lord, that we're not just going to walk through it. We're not just going to have this fatalistic, weird ideology when it comes to walking through tough times. But we know, Lord, that you leverage, you leverage brokenness. You leverage uh, things that have been taken away, things that we've lost. You leverage moments like this for us to grow closer with you and with others. And I pray, Lord, that as we're tra transitioning, even out of this month, but into this new year, Lord, we lay aside everything, God, that is not of you. Everything, Lord, that has tried to rob us of our joy. Lord, I just speak healing right now. And maybe you're listening and maybe you're far away from God. And you say, you know what, Pastor Jules? Man, my life is in chaos. This is a great moment. I want you to pray this prayer for me. Everyone, just repeat them. Just say, God, I need you. I surrender my life to you. Take control. Use me. Forgive me of my past. I want to walk with you in my future. In Jesus' name. Man, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to be able to walk with you and take you on your next step of baptism and uh, becoming closer into the family of God. And uh, so feel free to jump into any of the prayer chats or someone right now, if you're on YouTube, begin to chat with someone and say, hey, I've decided, I've made that decision. I want to continue to grow in my relationship with God. And we want to walk with you in that moment. But I do want to pray for one more group and then we'll be done. And that is this. Maybe there's chaos. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you're a God that walks us through and through growth and every trial and every tribulation, every disease, every sickness. Lord, all abuse, all excuses, all of those things, Lord, that have tried to come against us. We know, Lord, that you're using it for us to grow. And Lord, we take inventory into our heart and we say, Lord, search us, know us anything that is out of alignment, God, this is a moment, this fast, Lord, is a moment that I'm asking you to take that pain, to take that exhaustion, to take that loss, Lord, and give me clarity because I need wisdom. We need wisdom for our families. We need wisdom for our relationships. We need wisdom for our futures. And with God, we trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you guys next week.